Last week, we began a series called Family Matters. And uh, this week and next week, we're going to be on that same series. And really, all we're doing is talking about keeping God at the center of our life, keeping God at the center of our relationship, of our family, whatever it looks like. So last week, we heard from Tristan and Lily, an engaged couple, and they talked about how God was the center of their relationship. Today, you're going to hear from another family of three, uh, with three kids, excuse me, a family of five, uh, and they're going to talk about keeping God at the center of their family. And so I want you to hear this. Next week, I'm excited, and I want to share this with you. We're actually going to, rather than doing a video next week, we're going to have a panel. Uh, we'll have about uh, three couples up here, and we're just going to ask them some questions. Uh, none of these couples are perfect. None of these couples have it all together and know exactly how to parent. No offense to you three couples, okay? But uh, the, to be honest, we're just asking them some questions of things they've done with their children to pass on what it means to keep God at the center of our life. So uh, again, we're on that subject right now. So I'm going to have them play that video and then you'll hear from me in just a moment. This day and age To read any good news On the newspaper page And love and tradition Of the grand design Some people say It's even harder to find Well then there must be Some magic clue Inside these gentle walls Cause all I see Is a tower of dreams Real love bursting out Well, good morning, Bridge family. Uh, we are excited to sit here with Andrew and Jenny Lance, and uh, this is part of our Family Matters series. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about themselves before we kick into the interview. So uh, this is Andrew and Jenny. Hello, I'm Andrew Lance. And I'm Jenny Lance. Uh, we live in Barnard, Missouri. Um, I farm and sell seed uh, for a living. Um, and I stay home with our three children, Audrey, who is nine, Emma, who is six, and James, who is two. Clearly, we are just talking about how to keep God at the center, not only of our lives, but of our family. And so we just ask you guys to answer some questions and um, kind of help us see how you live your life and how God fits into that. Do you read your Bible together and do devotions together as a family? And if so, how does that work? We usually read a chapter out of the Bible. Right now we're going through the New Testament, and then we sing and dance to three or four worship songs, me and the kids, um, before we start our day. And we usually uh, finish our day off with uh, prayer and uh, devotional times in the evenings before bed or, um, you know, before we tuck them in. And we usually try to finish our day off with uh, spending time with the Lord. What are some things that you kind of hope to pass on to your kids when it comes to faith and uh, living a life for God? What are, what are things you're hoping to kind of pass on to them? A foundational piece of my faith is just uh, trusting the Lord always. So I guess I hope no matter, you know, no matter what we go through in life, whether it's a, um, a crisis or a pandemic or, you know, sickness or anything like that, I mean, you know, just to trust the Lord that he's always in control. So I hope... I feel like I have a, a really firm 
belief that he's always in control and I can always trust him. So I hope that I pass that on to our kids. That's something I really try to talk to them about and instill in them. Faith comes from hearing the Word of God. So you have to spend time with him to have faith. You have to read the Word to have faith and it will build your faith. And so that's what I want for them is so that he spends or they spend time with him. That's good. So how does your church attendance play a role in the in your family life and in keeping God at the center? Chad, we've always made it a priority no matter what. And, you know, life is busy for everybody, I feel like. Um, for us, it's a lot of the time the farm dictates a lot of our daily activities, uh, whether it's livestock being to be fed or the planting or harvest season. Um, but we always try to instill in our children that we need to take that at least that day or that morning or that six eight eight hours of the day and prioritize it to to God and to our faith and to our church you know we only miss church unless if we're sick have you seen things in your children that you think were caught not taught from your relationship with Christ recently our youngest James is two and he started at night he has noticed Obviously we pray or take turns praying and he has started praying on his own and the girls when they were little, very little, did the same thing and we aren't telling him, James, you need to pray, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he has started just closing his eyes and, bowing and and folding his hands and just saying people's names. That's how he prays right now. And um, I remember the girls doing the same thing and it's very sweet and it's something that he just caught on to. Not, we did not tell him he had to do that. Yeah. He was just seeing it in us. Maybe, you know, the fruits of the Spirit are a really good thing that we notice in our children. I mean, maybe we don't hit every one of them every day, um, but... Uh, you mean we, the kids aren't perfect? <laughs> yeah, not every day, and the, the youngest one especially. So, so but, you know... Uh, uh, their language, you know, the way they speak, the way they respect their uh, authority or adults. I mean, I, you know, they pick that up, obviously, because we don't choose to talk, you know, like that or anything. So how do you guys keep God at the center of your family? I know we've talked about prayer, devotions, all kinds of things, but what would you say is the underlying thing that really just keeps him at the center? We remind the girls all, all the time and our and James too, how grateful and thankful we are that we get to know Jesus and we get to uh, worship him and um, freely. freely and have a life with him. You know, how lucky that we, they are and that we are that they have that opportunity because yeah. a lot of people in this world don't. You know, we are really blessed just by knowing Jesus. You know, we chose at an early age to do marriage right to be you know a lot um, of the choices we made before marriage and before family set us, our you know, family up for success yes. you know I want to tell all the <laughs> girls that it's possible <laughs> you know what I mean it yeah. is possible yeah. so I'm not saying please. it's not hard and I wasn't I wasn't saved too much longer before we got, we got married yeah. I mean it was a yeah. short we grew road up of time yeah I seen the importance in it and believed it and grabbed onto it Luckily, God had softened my heart enough, or didn't callous. I hadn't calloused over yet to, to accept all that. Yeah. So, we just always go back. You know, bad things happen in life, or I lose a big sale, but then all of a sudden, God 
brings something new that's yep. better. Has yeah. always you know? provided, no matter what, even when we were in college. We got married young. Um, I was 21 and he was 20. Sometimes it was a little low on funds, but um, God always came through. Yep. Whether it was a job we needed or, you know, some, you know, a good bump in the grain market or a cow <laughs> that we needed to sell. I mean, and we know that it was God. One of the main things, blessing-wise, that we have seen in our family through all this is um, joy. I mean, that's something that came to mind. Is we have a really peaceful and a joy-filled home. Hey, can we say thank you to the Lance family for doing that? Thanks, guys. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It's the promise that we have. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto us. That's, that's the whole theme behind this whole Family Matters series. And today's message, I'm going to be honest with you, it's one of the most simple thoughts in the world. I mean, it's just common sense is really what it is. But it's also one of the most difficult to live out, if I'm just being real honest with you. So I want to use a parable that, parable that Jesus told. And uh, Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus really never taught without using parables. If you'll remember, back in 2019, we did a series called Parables. And this is one of them we used. And I'm going to use it again because I believe it very much speaks to what we're talking about today. And it really helps us understand how to keep God at the center of our life. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I want to build this up and help you understand the brevity of this parable and when Jesus chose the perfect time to share this. So if you were reading in Matthew chapter 4, you would find that Jesus went out into the desert to be tempted by Satan three times. I had the privilege of going to Israel uh, a couple of years ago, and this was a picture I got to take standing there. This is a picture of the wilderness where Jesus went in to be tempted by Satan. Now, as he got to the end of chapter 4, if you're reading that, it says that's where Jesus began his ministry. He be and it, well, I'll show you a picture of the Sea of Galilee. This is where he called his first four disciples as he began his ministry. Peter, James, Andrew, and John were on this sea. I got to take a little boat ride across the sea, and I even got to have lunch while we were there, and this is what I ate. Just wanted to throw that in there because it was absolutely disgusting, but uh, I, I, I wolfed it down because we were hungry, and it's what we had to eat, but I couldn't believe that that thing was sitting there staring at me, and I was having to peel it apart. I, that's all I had for that. So let's look at the next picture, and this is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's on what's called the Mount of Beatitudes, and you're looking down at the Sea of Galilee, and it's at this place that if you're reading Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Standing on this Mount of Beatitudes, he began to speak. And these are the words that he talked about. He taught about things like adultery, murder, how to love, prayer and fasting. He taught about how to not judge your neighbor, the golden rule, the true way into the kingdom. And after teaching all of these things in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he concludes all of this with the parable that we're about to read. 
So imagine Jesus has just taught you lots of life principles, lots of good things to live by, and then we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, and this is what it says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. It didn't just fall with a crash, it fell with a great crash. And sometimes when our families aren't built on a firm foundation, you know what happens? They fall with a great crash. Some of you experienced that as a child because of your parents not making good choices and you experienced your home falling with a great crash. It's one of the most important things. If you think about it, when you get serious in a relationship, you get engaged or plan to, to get married, what is the first thing you're going to talk about? You're going to say, where are we going to live? Where's our home going to be? Are we going to live by your parents, my parents? Are we getting away from all parents? Are we going to get out of here and go, go to someplace new? Where are we going to live? And then the place that you live in, you're going to have to make that choice. It's probably where you're going to spend most of your money is on the place that you live. It's very important when it comes to that. And Jesus is saying, if we're really using this parable right, he's saying the best thing you can do for your family is build your house on a rock, on firm foundation. More important than how many rooms you have. More important than is it siding or is it brick? Or how many bathrooms, because all God's people got to take a break, right? The most important in, in building your house is the rock, the foundation, Hearing these words that Jesus is saying and putting them into practice is very similar to seeking first the kingdom of God and knowing that if you do that, everything else is going to be added unto you. That's really what Jesus is saying. Hear these words and do them, and when the storm comes, you're going to be fine. That's what he's trying to help us understand. And just as he's talking to everyone here I believe this parable is so relatable to us as parents. He lays out these life lessons and finishes by saying, do this and your life will be good. Don't do this and your life is going to be bad. Isn't that one of the goals as a parent is that as we teach our children, my goal is that I can tell them something, they process it and go, this is the order that I have. Not order, that sounds really harsh. This is the thing my father has asked me to do. They process that and they carry it out. As simple as, hey, can you take out the trash? You want to hope they'll do it the first time, not the fifth time you ask. You hope that when they take it out, they actually take it not throw it out in the garage or throw it out in the yard, but take it to the dumpster and put it in there. You hope they're going to grab another bag and replace it and put it in, right? Are you with me? How many have had that conversation multiple times? I know because I have kids. You want to believe that, hey, you need to go mow the lawn, that they understand what that means. So it's hearing those words, processing it, and then actually carrying it out. And that's all Jesus 
is asking us to do in this moment. Parents, how many times have you been sitting down with your kids and you're saying, this is what I'm asking you to do, and this is how I'm asking you to do it, and as you're telling them, they just have that, like they're not hearing a word you're saying. And what statement do we make in that moment? We say, I'm telling you this because I love you. How many have said that? I'm teaching you this because I love you. Jesus loved us enough to help us. He gave us the way to live. He gave us the things to live by. And he said, all you got to do is hear these words of mine and put them into practice. I want you to look at verse 25 and verse 27 again. There's something these two people have in common. Look at verse 25. What happens to the one who builds his house on the rock? It says, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against the house. But if you look at verse 27, what does it say about the sand people? It says, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against the house. It's the one thing that rock people and sand people have in common is the storm is coming. It doesn't matter who you are, the storm is coming. And so the thing the rock people have to understand is we have a firm foundation. When the storm comes, it's okay. You can't eliminate the storms, but you can be prepared for when they come. And that's all Jesus is trying to do. Again, very simple, but very hard to live out. It's different. Uh, the only difference in these two is the foundation. This whole principle makes such sense to us in the physical realm. It's very easy to understand. Because if you were standing out in the yard talking to your neighbor, and he said, hey, we bought some land outside of town, and we're, we're going to be building a house. And the neighbor begins to tell you all about the plans they have for the house. And in the midst of that, they say, you know, we decided, my wife and I were talking, we're going to forego the foundation and just get more square footage. Yes, I hear that laughter. You would probably laugh at them. Or you would run in the house and go, honey, you won't believe what the neighbor just said. They're going to build a house without a foundation. Because it doesn't make sense. Building a house without a foundation would be ignoring reality. Because we all know the wind's going to come, the rain's going to come, the storm's going to come, and it's going to take the house down. And it's going to fall with a great crash. Yet based on what Jesus said, how many people ignore reality in their family life or in their spiritual life? We're so busy that maybe we don't take time with the children the way we should. And when they grow up and they want nothing to do with us, we're surprised? No, we were ignoring reality. We got so busy and wrapped up in our life and in the, the activities that our kids are in and church became secondhand and before long we're going three, four times a year and then all of a sudden when they're older, they don't want to go to church. Why don't they want to have a connection with God? We ignored reality. We didn't give them a foundation. The sad thing about this is when we fail to build our house on the rock, here's the thing. It's not just going to affect your house. It's going to affect your children's houses. You understand that? You don't want to raise children that have to get over something you did before they can even begin their own family. How many of us have carried something from our childhood into our marriage? 
Why? Because there was no foundation. There was no rock to stand on. If you aren't listening and obeying the words of Jesus, then you're ignoring reality. You're assuming that trouble's never going to come your way, that the storm is never going to happen. But Jesus promised that in both situations, the storm is coming. doesn't matter who you are. And the reason I like hearing from Andrew and Jenny this morning, the reason I like using other people is it's not just me standing up here talking, first of all, and this is not just theory. It's someone who's truly living this out. Again, I mentioned this earlier about the families we're going to use next week. Nobody's perfect. We're not saying that anyone in this room is perfect and we set them up on a pedestal. No, the idea is that they have truly just made some choices from the beginning. And the choices they made in the beginning, they're now reaping the benefits of years later. Their kids are going to reap the benefits of the choices they made. They made difficult choices early in their relationship. Therefore, when trouble comes, they have a place to stand. You know what happens in marriage? We don't turn against one another in troubled times. We turn to one another. We turn to God because we have a foundation. If I'm just being honest, one of the reasons we find ourselves building a house on the sand is our butts get in the way. Yes, I said that. Our butts get in the way. I believe the Bible, but... I mean, the Bible says I should love my wife as Christ loved the church, but you haven't heard how she talks to me. I believe the Bible says I should forgive him, but you don't know how many times he's done that to me. And we find ourselves living in the sand because of our butts. So as we're thinking about this parable, I believe I have to ask the question, why? Why would anyone want to live their life on the sand? If we were really thinking about a foundational principle and understanding that we need a foundation to stand on, why would anyone want to build on the sand? And the answer to that is it's comfortable, it's soft, it's easy, it's the most popular. When you go to the beach, where does everybody go? To the sand. You don't see anybody laying on the rocks, do you? Because the sand is conformable. When you get up from being in the sand, there's an imprint from where you laid in the sand. It conforms to you. That's the way we like life, to conform to what we want, to conform to us. The rock does not conform. You get up from laying on the rocks, you conform to the rocks. You've got places where you've been laying there, you're hurting, you're all crooked. You know what I'm talking about. It's hard. It's not popular. However, when the storm comes, rock is the most peaceful place you can be because you're safe. Jesus doesn't conform to what we want him to be. He's not like an action figure and we just position him how we want and make him do what we want. The Bible say, says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I believe if Jesus were standing here right now, as he was on the day at the Mount of Beatitudes, he would share the same things and he would say, hear these words of mine and do them. And you will be living your life on a firm foundation. Building on the rock and seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness first really come down to the same thing. It's hard sometimes. Most people build on the sand. They believe the word of God. It's just too hard for them to carry it out. So a godly life is built on doing hard things. 
And whenever everyone else is wondering who to turn to or what to do in a moment when they're falling apart, you're standing on the rock because you made tough decisions early on. One of the most incredible things about Jesus and his parables is he knew how to relate to people. A simple thing like a foundation, it's crazy that 2,000 years ago it made such sense to them, but it makes just as much sense today. That's the miracle of God's word. That we can take the same parable that he used and it applies to us. But he related to those people listening. And sometimes, can I tell you, parents, you're going to have to relate to your kids if you really want them to hear you. You have to kind of know where they are. Know why uh, they, wanna, they need to listen and obey you. One of the reasons I listened to my dad, I, let me be honest with you, I was not a perfect child, and I had plenty of times where I didn't listen to him, where I didn't want to hear what he had to say. I'll talk about that in a minute. But one of the reasons he got my ear is because he began to relate to me outside of parenting moments. He would take a bucket of baseballs and he'd say, let's go. They pastored a church that uh, we lived across the parking lot from the church in the church parsonage back in the day. And the church had a big field behind, the, behind it and it had a backdrop and bases and everything set up for a softball field. So we could play church softball. So my dad would take my brother and I out there, and we'd spend hours rotating. Somebody was pitching, somebody was hitting, somebody was catching. And we'd rotate and do it again. And it's because of those times that he showed me he loved me, so that when it came time for instruction, I listened. I might not have wanted to hear it, but I listened. We have to be able to relate to our children. If all your kids hear is instruction, after a while, they're not going to hear you. It doesn't mean you need to be their best friend. You are a parent first. Too many times we're trying to just be buddy-buddy, but Proverbs 13, 24 tells us, whoever spares the rod hates his son. He who loves him is diligent, diligent to discipline him. So if we're not willing to make those hard decisions and teach them, really what we're doing is just saying, figure it out on your own. It's all yours. It's as if, it's as if we hate them. That's what the Bible is saying. But when we take time to discipline them, to teach them, some children like mine may think you hate them sometimes. But it's okay. What they don't realize is we're doing it because we love them. We make the hard decisions now so they can make the hard decisions later. Jesus is basically saying what we say to our children all the time. This is for your good that you do this. Not mine. I want you to do these things because I love you. I remember when I was in third, fourth grade, I know it was one of those two because we had just moved to this town where my parents were pastoring in Elgin, Oklahoma. And uh, my dad decided I was old enough to start helping mow the lawn. And I did not want to help mow the lawn. My brother is three years older than I was. He had already been doing it. And all I'm thinking is, hey, he's got a pretty good handle on it. Why can't he do it? My dad calls me out there and he teaches me how to start the mower. I don't know that I was even old enough to get it cranking, but he would start it for me and then he'd hand it to me and I had to push. And I remember I was small enough that when I pushed, the handle was up here. Like I had to look through the square to even mow so that I could walk. And I was getting so mad that he was making me mow the lawn. 
I couldn't believe it. I mean, just, you ever been so mad you cried? I was just so angry that tears were just running down my face. I'm like, I can't believe he's making me do this. He's big enough to do it himself. My brother could do it. Anybody, the grass is going to get tall again. What's the purpose of mowing? All those things running through my head that we've all been there. My grandparents felt so bad for me. This is a classic grandparent. They showed up one day with a self-propelled lawnmower for me. And here's what's awesome. This is in like 87, 88, somewhere around that time. And my brother's over here going, hey, because I've got this self-propelled thing, man. I'm just going. I don't even have to push. I just walk. I'm like a stud now. All the neighbors are watching. I'm like, yeah, I don't even have to push. It was awesome. I still didn't want to mow, but it made it a lot better. Can I tell you that? I'm so glad my dad made me do that. Was it fun in the moment? No. I hated it. But I can't stand for my lawn to be messy now. And then I have kids of my own, and what do they want? A trampoline. A trampoline is the worst thing for your lawn. Anybody got kids coming up? Trampoline. Avoid it at all costs. Because then they want to run water on the trampoline, which kills all the grass underneath, and it turns into a mud putt. Mud puddle, excuse me. And so I had to weigh it out. Good lawn or happy kids? Good lawn or happy kids? You know what won. Come on. You all have trampolines too. <laughs> it wasn't fun in the moment. But it helps me make the hard decisions now. I hated it. How many times do we not want to do what Jesus tells us to do? How many times are we going, I don't want to do this. This is not fun. And Jesus is saying, I, I'm doing it because I love you. Make the tough choices. Just like my father, he's trying to help us. And aren't you glad that he loves us that much? Aren't you glad that he cares enough to take time to relate to us and share it in a way that we can't understand? Man, if you'll just do these things, you're building your house on a foundation that will stand any storm. Let me close with this real quick. There's three things that I think of when it comes to, again, I'm going to, let's look at a, a child and when we're trying to teach them. Our goal is we tell them something, they process it, and then they carry it out, right? That's the goal. And that's really all Jesus is trying to get us to do here. And I think of three things that are involved in that. This is not in your notes, so you can, you can write this down if you want. There's three things that we use. Our emotions our intellect, and our will. Our emotions, our intellect, and our will. How do these things work? Well, let me break this down just a little bit for you. As you've seen in your life and mine, we all have feelings that are set off by a variety of stimuli. And it's important that we admit these feelings because it's destructive to try to suppress your feelings, right? That's not good. Our feelings have to be released in some way. But then there's our intellect. Our minds are actually evaluating what our emotions are about to do. Our minds are saying, is this a good choice? Is this something you should be doing? And so we're responsible to set our minds and think through our emotional responses and their possible results. What's going to happen if I do go through with punching a hole in the wall? I may break my hand. I may break the wall, right? Right? So our emotions are rolling, 
But in that same instance, our intellect is saying, probably not a good idea. This is an important point of where we need God's word. Because if we have God's word, then the more we know the Bible, the more truth we have to evaluate those reactions. And so the moment when we want to respond with harsh words, we can say, you know what? What does the Bible say? Love is patient. Love is kind. And we're able to evaluate that in that moment and say, that's not a correct response. Let's not do that. Let's go this way. And then there's the will. The will is actually what chooses. So we got emotions, we got intellect, and then we've got the will, the will to choose. And so having the initial reaction and having evaluated it, we must choose our course of action. That's a critical step because our, our evaluation may have told us that our feelings are not biblical, that our feelings are neither constructive nor loving. But we still have those feelings, right? We still want to go that way. However, if we choose to do that, sometimes we ignore the intellect and we say, this is just what I feel, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to kick the wall. This is just what I feel, I'm going to do it, I'm going to walk out of the house, I'm going to leave. I don't want to yell at my kid, but I'm upset, so I'm going to give it to him. And so we have these emotions. But if you have God's Word in your mind, that as you begin to evaluate, is this a godly response? Is this what Christ told us to do? That's when we begin to stop and say, wait a minute. Let's evaluate this just a moment. What damage can I cause to my marriage? What damage can I cause to my children? in that moment. The mature choice, the one that we've been leaning towards, if we're talking about Jesus saying, hear these words of mine and put them into practice, is to evaluate and act responsibly. As a result of the evaluation, even though our feelings might be saying otherwise, we hear the words of Jesus and we put them into practice and we're building our house on a firm foundation. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say I was perfect at it. I didn't say I haven't wanted to kick the wall a few times. I didn't say I've never raised my voice at my child. It's the hard things. It's the hard things that will keep us on a firm foundation. Sand is soft, sand is easy. Sand is conformable. Do you really want to send your children into life having to get over the things that you did first before they can even begin their life? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything else. Even in those moments where your emotions want to go, that's when when we're seeking first the kingdom of God and we say, God, I need your response. I need your patience. I need your help. I need your choice in this, not mine. That we begin to build our house on the firm foundation. And here's the thing. Doing it three times is great, but if the fourth time happens, there went everything you just did the first three times. It's a continual process. Again, are we going to get it right every time? No, because nobody's perfect. That's where God's grace comes in, and he helps us. But if you get it right more than you get it wrong, can I tell you? You're going to be better off. 
I'm just trying to help you see what Jesus was saying, standing on the mount. Hear these words of mine and put them into practice, and you'll build your house on a firm foundation. Will you bow your heads with me? I'm just being honest. Not because I know you, but because God knows you. And he led me this direction today. I truly believe there are people living their life in the sand. It's popular. It's easy. It's comfortable. Nobody's getting hurt by me living in the sand. You know what? You're wrong. It's affecting those around you. by not building your house on a firm foundation. Because when the storm comes, it falls with a great crash. You've experienced that great crash, some of you in this room. Here's the good news. From this day forward, you can say, Chad, I've really messed up. I've been living in the sand way too long. Don't even know if I could live on the rock. You can from this day forward. Everything can change. It's a choice we make. It comes down to our emotions, our intellect, and our will. But man, that is where the Holy Spirit steps in. And they will speak, He will speak to us in that moment. Don't follow those emotions. Don't hurt your child. Don't, don't talk to them that way. Holy Spirit, I pray that you are speaking to some lives right now. That you would help us to do what Jesus asked. To truly read those scriptures, read the Bible, read the words of God. Hear them. Truly hear them. And even though it's hard sometimes and we're saying, I don't want to go that way. I don't want to do that. My emotions are going another way. But we're going to choose to do it anyway. And we're going to build our family on a firm foundation. My kids are going to know what it is to keep God first in their life. My kids are going to know what it is that when trouble comes, God is the one we turn to. I pray we wouldn't let our butts get in the way. Father, that we would not hold back forgiveness. Because something's been said too many times. You encouraged us to forgive every time. And if we don't, how are we to be forgiven? I pray that we're able to forgive. That's a tough decision. Our emotions say no way. Well, we know it's the right thing to do to forgive. To start back at zero. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much. That you stood on a mountain, sharing with some people, knowing it was going to make it 2,000 years later to right here, the bridge in Maryville, speaking to each and every one of us. I pray we would hear these words that you have spoken and truly just put them into practice. I pray we begin to see the difference. We don't just make it a one-time choice. It's a daily choice to live as you taught us to live. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.